And we've got a guest this morning who is going to be one of the keynote speakers at the Mental Health Summit. It's a biomedical sciences summit, and the theme is Mental Health is Health, 2022 Health and Biomedical Sciences Summit, next Wednesday, March 30th, here on the campus at Minnesota State, in person in the Centennial Student Union, or you can also watch it virtually via Zoom. And we have the one of the keynotes here, Dr. Abigail Gerwitz. Dr. Abigail Gerwitz is formerly from the University of Minnesota for many years, and now she is down in Arizona at Arizona State. Good morning, Dr. Gerwitz. Good morning. How are you? I am very well and really excited to, that you will be joining the campus next week. I was looking at some of the things you've done. You focus in your work on things like dealing with stress and specifically with, with children. That's correct. I wrote a book a couple of years ago. It, I did not know there would be a pandemic coming. Uh, it was called When the World Feels Like a Scary Place, Essential Conversations for Anxious Parents and Worried Kids. And I think since then, parents have got even more anxious and kids have become even more worried. Now, if you did this before the pandemic, what things were you thinking of then? Because now with the pandemic and now war in Ukraine, I think of all these things now that are like, oof, so, so big, yeah. I think. But before that... What kind of things were you ha did you have in mind? Well, believe it or not, we know that over the last 10, 12 years, um, anxiety and depression in children has been increasing. You wonder why that is, because it's hard to imagine what reason there would be before the pandemic and before war in the <laughs> Ukraine. But I think there are a few factors, and I put them all in, you know, I sort of talk about them all in my book. Um, let's talk about potentially existential crises, climate change, and increasingly severe weather events. Um, it's a very common fear of kids uh, when they see us, you know, when they see flooding or tornadoes, things like that, big storms. Um, we can also think about the power of social media, not just to do good, but also uh, to, to do bad in the lives of kids. And we think about things like, you know, bullying kids on social media and parents finding it increasingly hard to track what their children are doing on their devices. We know, for example, that the average child in America gets their first cell phone prior to the age of 10. <laughs> so um, that that's another stressor. Um, we're no strangers in Minnesota or anywhere in the U.S. to um, arguments and conflicts around uh, social justice issues, whether it's immigration um, or, uh, you know, sort of policing or, you know, all kinds of social justice issues. The gap between rich and poor has never been greater. Um, and so those are just a few things that kids and parents were worrying about even prior to the pandemic. Now, in looking at your background, you it says in your bio that you have been educated on three different continents. You've got four children of your own. And you had you said you became interested in understanding how families process stressful events because as a kid growing up in London, you said your dad was a young child at the start of World War II in September of 1939, and he, along with the rest of London's children, was evacuated with uh, hundreds of miles away to live with strangers for the next five years. Of course, we see that now in our own world, people in the Ukraine doing that. So you had that in the back of your mind. And then it says you were a manager for a large hotel chain in Israel when the Gulf War broke out. And then you also talked about in your bio that you were a young mom uh, with a first grader in 9-11. So lots of things that it obviously impacted your views. That's right. You know, if I think back to a single event, yes, my father was a young child during World War II. 
and he was evacuated. And of course, we see so many pictures every day on our newsfeed of uh, children and families fleeing Ukraine and, and worse. Uh, but in 1991, when I was the uh, training manager at the Tel Aviv Hilton Hotel in Israel, I was witness firsthand to um, Saddam Hussein's attacks. You know, he had invaded Kuwait, um, and then um, in response to the American response, he fired Scud missiles into Israel. And um, we were huddled one night, the first night that Scud missiles rained down on Tel Aviv, on the ninth floor of the hotel because it was thought that he had gas. Uh, he had chemical weapons, and so you couldn't go into an underground shelter because uh, chemicals are heavier than air. And they, you know, the most dangerous place to be is down below. Um, I was a, uh, I was uh, newly married then, but I didn't have children. But when I looked around me at all the hotel personnel, the journalists, everybody wearing gas masks, looking at each other, wondering what was going to happen. What I saw, not surprisingly, was that the most anxious among them were the parents who had left children in bed alone sometimes, mm. the night shift workers, for example. And, you know, we know that when something scary happens, we rely on what uh, a, a very famous English psychiatrist actually called our secure base, whether it's, you know, for a child, it's your parents. And for parents, it's your child as well. You want to make sure your clothes, you, that those nearest and dearest to you are safe. And so I became interested in parenting around traumatic events. And unfortunately, 9-11 happened. Uh, we went to war, to two wars. Um, and um, and, and I, it was my honor and privilege to be able to work to this day with our nation's military families who sent so many, you know, so many millions of children were affected by the deployment of a parent to war in the last 20-something years. How did you see in your practice then psychology dealing with kids? How did they, were they impacted? What did you see? Well, I always like to start with parents because children see the world through their parents, mm. right? Especially young children. Of course, sure. as kids go older, grow older, uh, peers become more important. But for young children, the parents are really the bubble through which they see the world. And so what, what I like to, to have parents think about is how does how do events affect you and I'll never forget one of the first you know I, I, I do mostly research and I do have a small clinical practice but I mostly do research and one of the first events we had for National Guard soldiers in Minnesota um, we asked parents what are your questions what are you wondering about what are you concerned about as your spouse prepares to deploy mm. this was back in 2010 2011 and one of the mothers really sort of summed it up for many of them. And she said, look, I, I, I've done this before. I get so worried about my husband. And I never know what should I, how should I, you know, what should I show the children? Should I show them that I'm terrified? Um, should I make a brave face when they might know that it's not really re a real brave face because I'm so scared? Um, what's too much for them and what's, just enough for them and um and you know our response was what we know is that you can't you can't lie to your children don't don't lie to them but also if you can find ways to deal with your own stress you will be able to be more present for your children so a, a scared parent who shows their fear to their children is can sometimes be a scary parent um but on the other hand if we find ways to manage our own stress and distress we can then, we deal with that on our own, with our friends, with our supports, with our family, 
we can then be more present and help reassure our children and be there for our children and truly listen to them. And I think a lot of kids are scared to tell their parents what they're worried about because they are really worried that that will freak their parents out. So what tips might you have about people, the the parents staying calm in this anxious world so the kids don't react to stress because their parents are so stressed? Right. I mean, it's easier said than done, right? (laughs) It is, right? Um, You know, so spend the first couple of chapters of the book helping parents think about, first of all, who am I? How do I respond to stress? Um, what freaks me out and what do I do about it that, that helps? And then the same with your partner, right? Because, um, you know, sometimes there are single parents in a family, but sometimes, you know, often there are two parents in a family. And uh, sometimes our temperament, our personalities can be different. What freaks me out might not freak my spouse out and vice versa. So think about that first. And the most important thing to do is think about what things help you manage your stress. Um, and then, of course, you have to be able to identify what's happening. Um, so often we don't realize how stressed we were until we do something we later regret and then we realize that had we taken the time to kind of, uh, you know, be intentional, breathe, <laughs> um, go for a walk, um, that would have given us the opportunity to reflect and think about what we want to do. And that happens so often, you know, we blow up at our kids because, I don't know, they race into the house, slam the door, you're, on the, you're in a meeting on Zoom, <laughs> uh, they make a big noise, you have to apologize and you yell at them. And it's very common, right? Take a breath, uh, think, put yourself on mute, think about how you want to respond, respond calmly, that's less likely to escalate into a fight. Um, the other thing that helping yourself be calm does is it then allows you to attend to your kids. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, that's that's a prerequisite. Do you talk differently to younger kids versus teenagers in terms of dealing with things like the, the, the wars, the Ukraine, you know, and that happened? I mean, I think we were all shocked and see something like that, or even the politics that we had, the awful divide of the last election here and such differences and, and kids hearing the parents saying bad things about one side and the other, and then that transfers and... That just seems like that was a very stressful period, too. Well, exactly. You know, I didn't mention it earlier, but that was one of the primary reasons I wrote the book was ah. the incredible divisiveness. Um, it was 2016, actually, when I decided to okay. first thought about writing the book because I wondered what it would be like to be a parent of young children. Then my kids were all teenagers by then. Um, but, yes, yeah, so much division and so much anger and so much bad behavior. Yes. Um, and I think... Um, you know, how do we teach our children uh, to be civil, good, compassionate, engaged human beings when they look beyond us and there's not much, <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. there's not much to see that, um, that you know, is, is matches our values um, inside our home. So actually I start by helping parents think about what their values are and act, acting on their values. But you asked about talking to your children and how do you talk to kids of different ages, and I would say, um, I always encourage parents to start not by talking, but by listening. Um, so listen and watch your children and see, they tell you a lot both by what they say and what they don't say. Um, so a child comes into a house and you can see they're preoccupied. Instead of saying, hey, what's going on? You might say, um, I, I'm looking at your face and I can see that you have your, your eyes are looking worried or you might have tears in your eyes. And, I wonder if you're feeling sad and help your child 
uh, translate their emotions into where they feel it in their bodies. And then you can move to what happens. Um, and then your child, by listening, you will be able to talk to your child about things that your child is worried about rather than what you think they're worried about. And so often we have an idea of what our kids might be worried about, but when we hear them, it's actually something quite different. Um, you know, so throughout the pandemic, for example, um, you know, parents, I think we didn't want to go there with the idea that so many kids were absolutely terrified their parents were going to get sick and die, mm-hmm. right? And I think with the war in the Ukraine, so many kids are watching, those who are watching what's going on are wondering, could this happen here? Especially young children, they have different senses of geography. Mm-hmm. They may not even understand that this war is a really long way away. Um, and it, I've also had parents ask me, well, what do I talk to them about? Like, there could be a World War Three or a nuclear war. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> you know, the, you, you know, look, this is where age comes into play very powerfully. You're not going to talk to your nine-year-old about nuclear war because, number one, yes, there's all sorts of fear-mongering and scary things that could happen, but the reality is right now it's not happening. Um, and there are great, you know, there are many things in place to prevent this from escalating into a, ter- you know, a world war. But you might have that discussion with your 16-year-old um, because your 16-year-old is much more likely to bring it to you. So in the talking part, think about what your child is worried about, respond to that, and think about what you're willing to share, what they can manage at their age. Boy, that's a that's a, a a tough line. Sometimes I have uh, now just a child who turned fifteen, and I have a uh, one that's going to turn eighteen soon. And I noticed that things change when they well, they used to be the cuddly little snuggle with me mom, and <laughs> and now all of a sudden I said he was fourteen, he was cuddly and sweet, and and all of a sudden what happened? So what what does happen, and how do you deal with that change when all of a sudden they're not the cuddly sweet little boy that you knew and and oh they're like I don't want to talk mom or whatever that sort of thing (laughs) I've been there I'm laughing because I've been there yeah yeah it's well it's hard because I'm just being there now (laughs) yes yes it's really hard on the other hand they become their own person you you see them independent and you think sometimes you think where did that come from Mm -hmm. um so it is absolutely lovely to see them um, sort of engage with the outside world independently and becoming their own person. Um, yeah, and it's hard for us parents because sometimes what they think um, is different to what we think. Right. Um, and so what do we do about that? And I think, again, that ties in with our values. So we might not agree with where they're going politically, but we might value their willingness and, and, and capacity to think independently, um, you know, it, depends again on what 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 our what our lines are what should you say or shouldn't you say (laughs) well again like it depends what your values are so if your values for example are to bring up an independent compassionate engaged child and you see your child talking to you about things that you don't agree with but that don't misalign with your values they're just different Mm -hmm. then um i would say you know step back from the temptation to sort of jump on them and say, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, and allow them instead facilitate them finding out 
uh, what they want. So in my book, I have a chapter on um, fat, on uh, helping kids or a couple of conversations on helping kids distinguish facts from hearsay. Uh, one, in one of the examples, kids come home, they're very excited because the, 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 day, the next day, um, they've got the day off to go get their flu shots. And, um, uh, but a kid at school tells them that the flu shots are actually causing people to be sick. Uh, so they run home yeah. uh, to their to their dad and they say, hey, dad, we don't need to go to the doctor because the flu shots make you sick. Can we have a day <laughs> off instead? And the dad's temptation is to say, oh, don't be silly. Of course they're not. You know, all these people. But instead, dad steps back and says, oh, you know what? We have some ways to find out what's true and what isn't. Why don't we look this up together? And he shows them how to do it. They do it themselves. And I... You know, I feel very strongly that any kind of this is a this is a very American value is that you know we want to teach our children to fish, <laughs> uh, we want to teach them to problem solve themselves. Yet we have the temptation to tell them what's right and what's. Um, but if we can help them through a problem solving process in any situation, um, we can help them find the facts. We can help them think about what they can do in response to, let's say, their worry about war in Ukraine. Okay, what can, let's think, let's have a brainstorm. What can we do from here in our home in Mankato? What can we do to help um, the, the effort, you know, efforts, humanitarian efforts in the Ukraine? Or what can we do to help you feel less anxious? What are some strategies? Um, if we can do that, we can bring our children up to be more independent and more, and they also feel less hopeless and more engaged with the outside world. Dr. Gerwitz, you mentioned your children are teens now. How do you feel you did? Do you look back and say, I wish I would have done such and such differently? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we all do that. <laughs> they, they do. I have actually only got one teen. The other three are in their 20s already. Oh, okay. um, I, I, I feel grateful. I think it's complicated because, you know, it, 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 what we know is that growing up and what you become is a mixture of how your parents bring you up, and also your own genetics. Um, you know, you, you know, we, we gift our kids, I like to say we gift our kids two gifts, the gift of our genetics and the gift of the environment we bring them up in. And um, I feel very grateful that my kids are, you know, doing, they're making their way in the world. Uh, are there mistakes? Um, that Do we regret things 100%? Uh, I guess some people don't regret anything, but uh, it's more common that people regret certain things. But overall, I feel incredibly grateful to, you know, to have uh, four American kids who are making their way in the world. So you'll be coming next week on Wednesday and be one of the presenters. It's an all-day event on Wednesday, March 30th from 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. in person at Minnesota State's Centennial Student Union or vir virtually via Zoom. And what what will the topic you're uh, talking about be targeted about? Well, it's really sort of helping parents think through what happens. How can I help my child when the world feels like a scary place? And unfortunately, it's more topical now than ever. And um, But I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to engage um, with uh, with people at Mankato, and uh, yeah, that that that's what the event is going to be about. Now, you wrote the book before the pandemic, so is there th something you would change or think you might adapt after having gone through the pandemic the last two years? That in the book called "The World Feels Like a Scary Place." Uh, actually, the book came out in June of 2020, and in March, when it was going to press, my publisher called me and said, "Can oh. you put in a conversation about COVID?" Oh wow! So I <laughs> okay. I yeah. So there is a conversation about COVID. I think I would add, you know, I didn't, I didn't add, uh, you know, at that 
point. Of course, we um, I did talk about, I did actually include a conversation uh, sort of in honor of the military families that we worked with about a parent deploying to war, but never about seeing war, mm-hmm. uh, not about seeing war unfold on our screens. And I think um, I think I would probably add that add that now, and I'll certainly be talking about that next week. I mean, do you should you try and shield your your kids from some of the stuff that you, they see on the news? Because I think about how you mentioned so many kids on their phones, on the the computers, and things they're going to see it somewhere on Twitter or wherever. Yeah. So you can't really insulate them, can you? Well, you you know it depends on age. You cannot. You're right. <laughs> um, any child, any child older than about three years old, if they are out of the house, look. If your child is in the house, if you're homeschooling them, sure. uh, then you pretty much have control over what they see. But if you are a regular family sending your kid to, um, to the local public school on the bus, you, you don't have control. And, and, and especially if your child has a device, a phone or something like that, then it's really hard to insulate your child. I do encourage parents not to keep the news on all the time. I think, um, you know, we know from 9-11 when I was a young mother that... Um, when when footage, you know, we know that footage of the Twin Towers, of the planes crashing into the Twin Towers, was played over and over again, yeah. and many children thought that the events happened multiple times. Oh. They didn't understand that it was the same footage being replayed. So I do encourage parents to keep the televisions off, but that doesn't mean that your children are going to be shielded. Um, and so that's why I encourage parents to have conversations with their children about what's going on, because would you rather your child hear about these things from their friend on the playground or from you? Well, I want to let you know I am the probably the meanest mom in the world. My son turned 15 last week, and he still doesn't have a phone, so... I am a very mean mother. I love that. I <laughs> and, love that. <laughs> and my, my other son is, is going to be 18 next month. He still doesn't have one. He doesn't really care. He's on the autism spectrum. He's like, oh, who cares? You know, I'm not going to socialize anyway. Uh, yeah. So it's very yeah. different. But And I even remember when I was a young mother, too, they said you should not expose your children to any media devices or anything till at least they're two years old so i mean we never watched sesame street or anything like that until it was they were at least two because they said that that can be damaging because of the way their brain's developing right well i think a lot of parents you know you know and unfortunately some of our marketing you know some of the the baby toy marketing is at fault because i think some parents feel oh you know this this music uh, baby einstein yeah. or um you know, is great for you, and that, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with music. Music's wonderful, but without parents, um, you know, things are not so good for kids. And so, it's a there's a big difference if you plonk between plonking your children in front of the television and sitting with them, um, even between um, having your kids watch a, an episode of Sesame Street, which, by the way, I think is fantastic, and uh, having the television on all day. Um, and so, I think you know. Most parents are somewhere in the middle, um, and, and, and I've rarely met, I've, I've, I will say I've never met a parent who doesn't want the best for their child. It's just that sometimes we, um, we have more rather than less tools. Yeah, because I see so many parents, even with babies, and they give their kid the phone because they don't want them, they just want to keep them occupied or something, and it just seems, I don't know. I, yeah, I, it's a great babysitter phone. But it's not um, good but, for them, is it? No. Yeah. No, it's a great babysitter. And, you know, I think, uh, in fact, one of the conversations in the book is about a little boy whose mother gives him his iPad while they're walking through the supermarket and he gets on YouTube Kids and sees something awful that he shouldn't see. And, of course, we know that no 
nothing, no channel, no device is foolproof, right. um, even though we want to think that. But I think, you know, I think moderation and most important, being intentional about what you want, as you clearly have, you know, when you sort of talked about the decisions that you made is, is really so important for parents. Well, I want to thank you. We've been chatting with Dr. Abigail Gerwitz, who is one of the speakers here at the upcoming Mental Health is Health 2022 Health and Biomedical Sciences Summit here at Minnesota State next Wednesday, March 30th from 8.30 to 4.30 p.m. in person at Minnesota State's Centennial Student Union or virtually via Zoom. Thank you so much for your time. And again, she is the author of the book called... When the world feels like a scary place, essential conversation. And you can find it where? Uh, Anywhere, Amazon, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you uh, get your books. Very good. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Gerwitz. We appreciate it, and have a nice trip to Mankato. (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye.